So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Thank you. Well, this morning I'm going to preach on the spiritual gift of teleportation (laughs) as one of our seven practices, how the Lord will take us from this place and to another place. No, um, I'm not even going to touch on that. so uh, we are, well, hello, uh, nice to see you all. As I've been away for a week, and uh, in a, like this, I've been trying to describe as uh, this wonderful kind of experiment at the Church of England, where they take the full breadth of the Church of England from the Catholic to the Reformed Evangelical and throw us in a room and say, get along. And uh, it's been a big week. Um, <laughs> but it's a, the Church of England is a beautiful thing. Um, but... Uh, in the midst of that, I've been thinking about um, this sermon series that we find ourselves in, and it is, uh, we've entitled it The Pursuit of Joy, and today we're looking at um, witnessing, and, and how, as we share our faith, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ through the words that we use and the life that we live, um, we are, well, the Lord will bring us great joy as we do it, become our joy, I suppose, that we do this. And so um, during this seven weeks, we've been looking at a few different things, seven things we will be looking at um, over these, these weeks. We're kind of halfway through it now. Um, and my hope is that as we adopt these, one of these priorities or these, um, uh, these practices, or maybe even posture is a better word, um, that as we, as we adopt these things, um, that they will put us in a space and we can be used by God, we can be encountered, God, be formed by God. And, and what will be the result will be that we will experience joy. And we will also be led into the good life that Jesus speaks about in John 10.10. 10. My hope is, is that this, uh, this, this series... It's not going to be one where you walk away feeling really burdened or, um, you know, like there's a whole bunch of laws and rules and these things that you have to get involved with. Um, it, it, I want you to remember in the midst of all that we talk about, it's all about grace. Um, 
that it's all about the good news of Jesus and that being embodied in us. And my hope is that by adopting these priorities, it will take us to a place where God um, can produce joy, um, give us life, and then use us for his glory. That's, that's the hope. So we've looked at Sabbath, looked at hospitality. Last week, David Wilson um, spoke on generosity. And today, we're looking at witnessing, what it looks like for us to be witness and how that might bring, bring joy. So I don't know about you, when, uh, when it comes to witnessing, um, my mind goes to all sorts of places. Um, it, 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 it goes to times when I've tried to tell people about Jesus and gone really very badly, um, or there'll be times, it'll be like my mind, well, I guess my heart sinks a tiny bit when I think about it because I think, oh, not very good at this, or I don't really want to do it. And, uh, and then you may be thinking now, as, as you're sat here and you see the word witness, you're like, oh gosh, what he's going to do over the next kind of 20 minutes or so is, is tell us to walk up to strangers, probably with one of those loud speakers, um, and, and I, we're going to leave feeling kind of wracked with fear and guilt for this whole next week. That's not my goal um, this morning. My goal is not to do that. Um, and I guess I want to reassure you or remind you that, that these, these things that we're looking at week in, week out over these seven weeks are not meant to be a burden or cause you guilt. I mean, it feels like that, that I'm either preaching it wrong or you're doing it wrong. Um, and so uh, we want to make sure that we, we, yeah, I guess these things are kind of an overflow, if you like. Um, but I think it's true to say that each of the things that we've looked at over the seven weeks and again today is that there, there will be some degree of sacrifice involved. It will involve uh, courage. Uh, a choice will be, need to be made uh, in order to adopt these postures. Um, but I do believe that they will bring us great joy. Um, so this topic today, witnessing, no difference. So um, when I talk about witnessing, I'll just define it quickly and what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm referring um, to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus um, through our words or through your words and through your life. Um, so there, there is a, I'm trying to not let the, I think our goal is that there's not a distinction by you know, how we live and the words we use, but there's some integrity in that. They are married together. The good news kind of flows out of us. Good news of Jesus flows out of us through the words that we speak and it's backed up by the lives that we live. And so I don't want to pull those apart today. Um, and so there'll be ways that we proclaim the good news by the way that we live. Um, and there'll be times when we need to proclaim the good news by the words that we use, but they won't be disjointed or disconnected from each other. Um, and I think that's important to say. So that's what we're saying. When I, when I think about witnessing, I'm referring to the proclamation of good news of Jesus through your words or through my words, through our words and by our lives. It's an outworking of Matthew 28 where Jesus says to go and make disciples. Go and tell them about me. Tell them what I've done, the new kingdom that I'm ushering in. And this needs to be the key activity, I think, of the church, to proclaim Jesus, to lift him high, to tell the world that Jesus is alive, to tell them the good news, that he is alive, that in him is forgiveness of sin, freedom, and eternal life. And this should be, this, this activity of witnessing, testifying that Jesus being alive should be um, viewed as our great privilege and our great joy. One of the passages that I go back to quite a lot is in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, 
where Paul writes to the, Thess- the Thessalonian church, because we loved you so much, we were delighted. So it was their joy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So I guess my prayer is right at the very beginning, is that we, we'd be like Paul, um, that it would be our joy, not a sense of burden or obligation, something that brings on guilt, but it would be our joy to share our lives and the good news that Jesus saves to our town, to Felton, to our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbors, and our children. Um, interestingly, I saw a study that, that revealed that passing the faith on to our children um, for parents or for people in the churches is not viewed as a priority anymore. Um, and uh, so I kind of want to awaken that in us as part of this, that, you know, for parents in the room or even for, uh, you know, the adults in here who are around the children that kind of run amok in here, um, that sharing the faith, passing on, passing on the faith to our children um, is a priority. Um, as part of the reason why in our services, we want to make sure that they're in and about, and they're seeing everything that we're doing, the worship, the praying, the offering, the whole bit. Um, and that's why we're, we're teaching on the same thing um, each Sunday um, because we really... You know, I'm always compelled. I'm going off off script a little bit because youth ministry and children's ministry has been close to my heart for so very, very long, and it's never going to leave me. But this this passage in Judges 2:10 that I always go back to is like this moment where Joshua. So they've just come out of the wilderness, um, and and Joshua's led the people. And what happens is that Joshua and all of his mates, all his contemporaries, they all die. And what happens is a generation rises up. Um, from, from under you know, the leadership, the oversight, the pastoral care of Joshua and his buddies. And they, they don't know about God. And they don't know how they, you know, God rescued them out of Egypt. Somehow they'd forgotten to tell the most incredible news onto that generation. And they gave themselves to other things, to other gods. And I think we're in that kind of moment, aren't we? Again, of a repeat of Judges. In fact, I think we're right in the throw of it, of a repeat. Um, where there is a generation of young people who are growing up um, who don't know who Jesus is and they don't know what um, he's done for them in saving them and redeeming them and how much he loves them. So um, all of this, I think, think, it, think of it in this, this kind of a way that I love today for, for the sharing, the witnessing, our testifying to the risen Jesus to be our joy um, because we know that it's good news, good news that transforms life. So our passage today um, is in Acts chapter 8, and I'd love to dive into it. So if you do have a Bible, and if we can put it up on the screen again, I'm just going to work my way um, through it, but I'm going to start at Acts um, verse 1, because I think for those of you who have been, been with us for a while, um, it would be wrong of us you know, to get to the end of Acts chapter 7 and then not start at Acts 1, like miss a verse. Um, we've been traveling through Acts for like 100,000 years, it feels like. So uh, let's go back to it because it's excellent. Um, and so Acts, right at the beginning of, well, so in Acts 6 and 7, Stephen has just been martyred. So we, we looked at that a bunch of weeks back if you were with us. Um, and uh, he, he was the first one to be killed for his faith. Um, and Stephen, along with Philip, who we learn about today, um, they were uh, the first people that the apostles kind of um, designated to get involved with the ministry. Firstly, they were looking, at, uh, looking after the food bank, if you like, the daily distribution of food. And then, um, and then Stephen and Philip got themselves involved in the ministry of the world. They started to tell people about 
Jesus. And so what happens at the end of Acts chapter 7 is that Stephen is killed. Um, Saul is introduced for the first time. Um, Saul, uh, as some of you will know, um, in Acts 9 comes to faith. His name's changed to Paul, and he goes on to write most of the New Testament. And uh, so Saul, he's standing here in this, uh, in this moment where Stephen's been killed, and he's giving approval um, to what is happening. And the result of this moment where Stephen is killed is that the church, you know, the Christian community, the church is heavily persecuted then, and then it's scattered. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that the apostles, they hung around in Jerusalem, and then the, and then the church spread into Judea and Samaria. Now, for those of you who know your uh, Bible, um, I'm, I'm going to inform you all now. In Acts chapter 1, uh, the, verse 8, um, the Bible, we read that you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the rest of the earth. And what we're reading here is exactly what, what Jesus said to um, his disciples. So they've been in Jerusalem, they've been proclaiming the good news, and then this persecution happens, which leads to them going out into Judea and Samaria. And Philip heads into Samaria. Now the, good, the thing you want to know about Samaria and the Samaritans, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, is that the Jewish people, they didn't like the Samaritans at all. They were evil. They, were, they didn't want anything to do with them. Racially, um, they were offended by them. And so it's significant that the gospel then moves into Samaria, an area where you wouldn't have thought God would want his gospel to go. And yet, there it goes. And so Philip, he goes into Samaria and he starts to proclaim the Messiah. And then in verse 6 of, verse of chapter 8, it says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, so there we go, we've got this coupling of all the words and the life married together, the signs and the proclamation of the gospel, they all paid close attention to what he said. And then in verse 7 and 8, we see an inbreaking of the kingdom of God, um, which is, this is what, the, what, what Jesus came to achieve through dying on the cross and rising again, was to establish a new kingdom where the old things would go and the new kingdom would be ushered in. And what did this look like? For the sh with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. So we're talking about freedom, release from captivity, freedom from addiction, um, and the paralyzed or the lame were healed. So we see a movement of the gospel that um, it involves a proclamation of Jesus and the good news of Jesus, which also is combined with this inbreaking of the kingdom of God that sets people free and brings hope. And I absolutely love this. And this is what I'm praying for as we go into Feltham, is that um, we would see the kingdom of God break in, that we would be agents of the kingdom of God, that as we proclaim the good news of Jesus, we would see signs of the kingdom breaking in amongst us, that we would see people healed, we'd see people set free, we'd see people who, who don't have hope or feeling lonely, like, that God kind of breaks into those and what he's done, achieved in Jesus and transform their lives. We can see that there is real power in the name of Jesus. Now, it's so, there must be there's something so amazing going on that as we continue on in Acts chapter 8, we come across a fellow called Simon the Sorcerer. Um, so this movement of the gospel and the, and the signs and the wonders that accompanied that um, caught Simon the Sorcerer's attention. Um, he was wandering around doing all sorts of wonderful things, um, and he'd often boast that he was someone really, really great. 
And, and so uh, what happens is he then is, is like struck by the good news and uh, his life is turned around. He then thinks his power is so good he wants to buy it. Um, the apostles have made their, their way to Samaria at this point. They're like, uh, you don't buy this. He's like, really sorry. And then the story moves on to Philip and the Ethiopian. So here we are, Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip's on this wonderful whistle tour of Samaria. And um, there's, there's like three lessons I'd love us to take away from this story of Philip and the Ethiopian. So, uh, and thank you, Rosie, for reading that to us. So the first thing that we, we read in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south of the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So we started out. Um, and uh, in, uh, along this way, Philip, I want to call him Peter, but his name's Philip. Um, Philip encounters this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, um, who had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Um, and he was on his way home, sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Um, and the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So two quick things. Um, firstly, we can see that the Spirit is leading Philip. Um, don't, don't get too tripped up on the angel spoke and the Spirit spoke. What we can be clear on is that God is leading Philip to this man for a purpose. He, the, the Spirit of God is active in um, this, this moment of this person coming to faith. And then secondly, um, some of you might be wondering what a eunuch is. Um, so, so eunuch, I assume most of you know, but so a, a eunuch, and I'm giggling like a child, in general is a male who has been castrated in order to be a slave or a servant. And this happens... Uh, basically because in doing so, there's no risk of them trying to form a queue and creating a new dynasty. It's not possible to create a kingdom for this person. Their family starts and ends, well, just ends with them. And they tended to be reliable. And so they, it was quite common in that day um, for um, eunuchs to be slaves. And this was an important slave, um, we can see um, from this passage. Um, this eunuch... Um, most scholars would agree, was um, a Jewish or at least a Jewish convert um, because it's widely recognized that Cornelius was the first non-Jew to become a Christian. Um, so that's interesting as well. And I think, I think in summary, when it comes to the Ethiopian eunuch, it would be that he's, he's definitely an unexpected person when it comes to um, a theme in the story, a person who's had their life transformed by the gospel. It's an encouragement to me because it might be that you think, well, maybe I'm disqualified from being, you know, being eligible for the good news. And if this guy is on God's radar, then you are on God's radar. So that's what's happening here. Um, Philip runs up to the chariot because he's listening to the Lord um, and he asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch says, well, how can I understand if someone doesn't explain it to me? It turns out he's reading Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy around, about Jesus. Um, and then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? And then Philip did this in verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That very passage of Scripture and then told him the good news about Jesus. Ethiopian eunuch then um, gives his life to Jesus. They get baptized in presumably a puddle because they're in the desert. Um, and then Philip 
teleports away. <laughs> and we'll just leave that to one side. So three really quick things um, that I'd love uh, to uh, just draw your attention to when it comes to witnessing and what we can learn from this particular story. Um, firstly, um, remember that the, that the the gospel is good news. That's the first thing I want you to remember. Um, sometimes I think we forget that, that the, the very heart of our faith, and it was referred to in this passage, that he told them the good news about Jesus. Um, and that's often said throughout the New Testament, the good news. This is good news. Um, and it might be today um, that, uh, yeah, you, maybe you don't feel like it is good news anymore. You thought it was, but now you're not, not sure. And somehow the, the, the goodness of God has kind of got lost somewhere. Um, and it's given way to, I don't know, frustration or anger. Or, and, and, and maybe today, maybe today, in terms of the goodness of God, he would um, reveal to you afresh the heart of the gospel, which is fundamentally good news. Good news. The greatest news ever told. The story of God becoming a man in Jesus. And the story of that man, Jesus, living for us and living with us, knowing um, what life is like, dying for us in our place, rising for us, all in order to rescue us, restore us, and redeem us from the problem of sin. And the reason why he did this is because God loves you. God loves you. At the heart of the good news is, is bound up in the reality that God loves you. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what your past looks like, any of these things. God loves you. And I think this is an important starting point when it comes to witnessing because if we don't believe it's good news, it's going to be very difficult to do the next bit, which is to talk about it. Um, because if it's not good for you, good news for you, it's not going to flow out of you as good news, but something you ought to talk about because that's what we do as Christians. And so my hope is that the good news will um, grab a hold of your heart. And I think the reason why the disciples in Acts chapter 4 couldn't help but speak of what they'd seen and heard is because they knew to their very core that it was true and that God and the gospel was good. They couldn't help themselves. It it just kind of flowed out of them. The good news and sharing the good news was their joy. So that's the first thing. And, and I'd love to pray for us, actually, um, as we, you know, during the rest of this service, just so that, you know, that we capture that again, that we know it again, that we're loved by God, that Jesus has saved us from sin and death um, through his life, death and resurrection on the cross and, and has a hope and a future for you. Um, and it is all good news. So that's the first thing. Remember, it's good news. Secondly, let's look at the example of Philip and see if we can apply this to our lives. So firstly, um, Philip listens to the Holy Spirit. He's attentive to what the Spirit is saying. So in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. I think this is so key, actually, when it comes to witnessing. and something that's kind of 
maybe skipped sometimes, is being attentive to the spirits leading, both in leading you to people to talk to um, and also in real time as you have the conversation with people. And so often in Acts, we read how um, so-and-so was filled with the spirit and then out of them came the proclamation of the gospel. Um, And so I think it should be with us. Um, And this might be part of the posture of witnessing is actually taking, well, just being attentive to the Spirit's prompting. And that may take all sorts of different ways. I was reading something on Facebook yesterday um, about a pastor who was was preaching. And and what happened was a a lady who was really um, battling with um, mental mental health um, issues and depression and so on walked in um, and sat down. And the pastor just felt prompted in that moment. Um, to speak about that exact thing that she was going through. Um, And in that moment, he was able to then share with her the gospel and her life was transformed. Um, In that real moment, the the Spirit is speaking. I remember once when we were at St. Stephen's, um, we were just praying, and I've I've probably told you this before, but um, I had a sense that there was someone um, that was getting ready to go to church um, and they broke their right shoe as they were putting it on. They're like, not this as well. Not this as well. But they still decided to come along feeling a bit dejected and feeling a little bit overwhelmed with life. And, and what I felt like the Lord wanted to say to that person was, um, I see you and I love you. I know what you're going through. Um, and so I shared that word. Um, and sure enough, someone who hadn't really been to church in a long time um, was putting on their shoe um, and it broke. And they thought, no, not this as well. And they walked in. And I had the great joy of saying, is it amazing? that the Lord put your shoe in my mind to remind you that he loves you. And, and I think the, the Spirit is doing that often. And um, sometimes, uh, and I'm certainly guilty of this, I'm not listening um, as the Spirit kind of directs my thoughts or my steps or so on. And that's the first thing that we notice that Philip does. And so my motto is, um, I'd prefer um, to say what I sense the Spirit is saying and get it wrong rather than bottle it and turn out I was right. Um, and I was listening correctly to the Spirit. So that's the first thing um, when it comes to witnessing. Let's listen to the Spirit. Secondly, listen to the person. Philip listens to the person. This could be your friend or your neighbor, stranger on the seat, your children. Um, Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what the questions they're asking. Don't come with a ready-made answer for everything, but listen to the questions and try and listen for the question behind the question. Um, often the question that's being asked or the things they're wrestling with is pointing to something deeper that God wants to do in them. Um, and so this man was reading Isaiah 53. In our cultural moment, it's unlikely to be the case that you're going to be led to someone who happens to be a eunuch in a chariot reading Isaiah 53. Um, that's unlikely uh, to be the case. Um, But we will be led, and we will have the great privilege um, to listen to people as they wrestle um, with their their joys and their sorrows, as they chase their dreams, as they process their disappointments, as they air their concerns about what's happening in the world and to our world, when they vent their frustrations, when they talk about their fears and their joys and the happiness and the sadness and everything that life throws into us. Um, And I think the the important thing that we, we must do is that we must listen. Listen to what people are saying. And then um, our response then is able to be one um, that is both in uh, how we live, but also in what we say. It might be that um, our response is to reveal Jesus through the way that we care for them and then speak of him. Um, 
But we just, I think it's really important. I think Philip's example is so important for us to listen to what people are saying and be attentive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the midst of that. And um, so I, I think it's fair to say, not to say this really quickly, that people's attitudes to the church and faith in the West has changed quite a lot. And, and some of the um, kind of evangelistic methods and tools don't work in the same way they used to. Um, and so this idea of being led by the Spirit and listening to the people and them responding rather than coming a ready-made solution or ready-made, this is what I need to say, can sometimes get us in trouble. Um, because Christianity can be met with a degree of distrust, or disregard, in some cases actually disgust. Um, and they think when we bring up faith, when we say we're a Christian, I think the next thing that's coming is we're going to judge them, call them sinners, and I don't want anything to do with that. Um, and so, and I think too, I, I was speaking to Steph yeah, about, about some of this last week, and she uh, introduced me to the word woke. Um, does anyone know what it means to be woke? I do now. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's cool. It's basically uh, the idea, correct me if I get this wrong, uh, Steph, but um, it's the, it's, well, let me find the exact thing. It's associated mostly with millennials and Gen Z, apparently. So they are a younger kind of generation. Um, and uh, contrary to what many of us, you know, some of the older people thought, they're actually really alert or awoken. It almost feels like a second enlightenment in some ways. So they're, you know, they're really um, aware and, and, and alert to the injustice in the world or a particular social issue in the world, and they're really active in their response to it. Um, so examples might be that you're woke to racism or climate change or discrimination or poverty. Um, and that these, these people, Gen Z, millennials, uh, are often really passionate about fighting the injustice they see uh, and, and see it come to an end. Um, and so when, when, when you're speaking to someone who is woke, um, you know, you want to listen to what, what, what they're saying and not come with a ready-made, or, you know, you're a sinner or you're this, that, the other, because, you know, for them, they're like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm, 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 I want to see the world a better place. I want to see injustice gone. I want to see now, if we listen to that, then we should be thinking to ourselves, shivers, what you're describing sounds a lot like the kingdom of God. Um, and, and then you're able, you able to then think about, well, do you know what this, this feels like? I might be totally wrong. This might not work as, an, as a strategy for bringing in God and the kingdom of God. But it feels like that, well, Mark Sayers, actually, he, he, I like to read some of his stuff. And he talks about how we find ourselves in a post-Christian era, um, one that defines itself um, as... Well, it defines itself against a Christian era, really. And, and that the description really is that um, they want the, thing, the things of the kingdom, um, but not the king. So we, we find ourselves in a culture that, that wants the fullness of the kingdom of God, but has rejected Jesus, um, because that's connected with Christians and the church. Um, but what we know is, and what we've experienced, is that, that this kingdom that's, that, that is really the longing of our hearts um, it's only really possible under the reign of Jesus. And he's, he's made it possible through his death and his resurrection. Uh, but it feels like that if you listen to someone who would describe themselves as woke, there, there's, when we start thinking in terms of the kingdom of God, then we have a conversation that we can start to talk about. That we, we also are fighting against injustice. We are also fighting against discrimination. We, we fundamentally love people and want to see poverty eradicated and whatever it might be. And so there's a common ground 
um, that we can find that will um, unlock a conversation that could lead to the good news. But it begins um, with listening to the Spirit, listening to the, peer, the person before diving in with a response. And that's what Philip does. So he's led by the Spirit. He listens to the person. And then he responds with the good news of Jesus. We read in verse 35, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So he starts with what that person was talking about, what they were wrestling with, and then has a conversation in and around um, what that person was talking about. And what I would say, and what I try to do, I'm not very good at this, but I try, is I try to respond as Jesus would, both in word and deed, by being compassionate and loving, um, but also not shying away from speaking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and I think, I think when it comes to witnessing, it's a, it's a posture, isn't it? it, it it's, it's being willing um, to, to, to take the opportunities as the Lord orchestrates them. And I do believe that the Lord orchestrates us with opportunities. And we kind of miss them because maybe we're not alert to them. And so as Peter says in his letter, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. And so this could look like um, an invitation to Alpha, which we're starting next term, by the way. Um, so if you want to be involved in that, chat with Sam. Um, which, actually, Alpha is really interesting because it kind of it, it, it facilitates a space for a discussion which kind of suits a post-Christian audience where they want to say what they feel and say what they think. And, and so if we run Alpha well, then we're facilitating some really helpful discussion um, which enables um, someone, hopefully, who's woke to be able to say what they think and feel. It might be um, that it, it, it provides, you know, as you, as you are led by the Spirit and you listen to the person and you get to that point of responding, it might be that you're able to um, uh, invite them to church or it might be that you're able to have a coffee with them and talk more and read the Scriptures with them, um, just like Philip did with the, uh, the Ethiopian. Um, it might be an opportunity to speak about why this faith is so real, this good news is so real for you. It might be that you're able to speak about how God answered a prayer. It might be that it lends you straight to speaking about um, the good news of the gospel. The thing, so this, the third thing that I want you to take away from this, so the first one was, remember it's good news. Remember the gospel is good news. Secondly, I want you to remember um, the example of Philip. And then thirdly, um, I want you to remember um, that it's God who saves and it's him who gets the glory. Um, it is not our job to save. That's God's. Um, he does it through Jesus. And so our job, and this, this to me is a very relaxed, this relaxes me as I trust God. Um, all we need to do is be willing to proclaim the good news of Jesus with our words and with our lives and trust God with the rest. Trust God with the rest. And I think in the midst of that, if we have this posture, um, that we know that it's good news, that we're led by the Spirit, we're listening to people, we're responding like Jesus would with words and deeds, remembering that it's God who saves and redeems, not us then this whole process, I'm hoping and believing, will be our great joy.
Um, and so that's the posture that I'd love us to adopt um, when it comes to witnessing. A posture of being willing and ready, led by the Spirit, listening to the people we're talking to, and being willing to respond as Jesus would with our words and our deeds.